at the dinner table the other night, my son Max was describing the football practices back when he was playing. And uh, he was mentioning that if you get sidelined by cramps in a game, um, you have to run lines in the next practice. If you get cramps, you got to run lines. And the theory is that the cramps are totally avoidable just through hydration, you know, stretching, that sort of thing. And a friend was at the table and asked, uh, well, couldn't you just ask the coach to kind of give you a break? Explain to him that I actually was properly hydrated and then maybe something else is going on and whatever. And his look was priceless. It was kind of like, um, no, you, you don't explain things like that to the head coach. You just run lines. That's just that's just the way it goes. Because because football practices aren't run by committee. Right. There's a head coach. He determines what's going on and who is ultimately going to be playing in the game, right? And there's a clear uh, authority. Uh, otherwise, there's just chaos, right? Even, even the star athletes have to run lines on, on, a good, on a good team, right? They have to come under discipline. doesn't matter if you're a superstar. You still have to do the work. And it's that way in our lives as well. Uh, today, we're going to look at the Word of God coming authoritatively to a new community. And we're going to look at the response of those people in the book of Acts. One man was at the top of his game. If, if this was a football uh, team, he'd be the superstar athlete, right? He's at the top of his game and he had it all come crashing down when his magical power met true authority and the, the roots of his own life were laid bare. Simon, the magician, had power and and he had to lay all that down at the foot of God's authority. Uh, we're we're going to need to listen to that today because you know Simon he he was a magician. He had all the attention of all the crowds, right? All the power, all the all the attention, all the tricks. He was he was this the fan favorite, right? He had made a name for himself, and and he even even he had to find that that he had to take a seat under the authority of the word. The authority of the word came through the authority of, of God spoken by his emissaries. Philip, we'll see, as he comes into the town. And so even Simon, this, this great popular figure, had to submit himself as a disciple to take a seat. And I think what we need to just process today is that there is real authority. And, and God has that authority. And the power that he has comes from that authority. But it's because he is in charge of all things. Let's take a look at this passage and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered after the persecution, after the, the killing of Stephen in the verses before... Uh, they were scattered about and, and they were, were heading out because house to house the... The persecutors were going to, to throw them in jail. And so they started spreading out. And they were preaching the word. Now Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, that's demons, um, crying out with, the word is mega, <laughs> with a mega voice, came out of many who had them, and many 
who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Think about the proclamation of the word in the city and how it came with the authority and then also the power attendant to that authority. They were announcing the word. They were the word is gospeling, really, evangelizing, the proclaiming the Messiah Jesus. They, they were saying this, did you know that our hopes and dreams have been fulfilled? Did you know that, that God has indeed become king again? Later we'll see they've been preaching the message of the kingdom, right? He's become king again in Jerusalem and that we can be free because forgiveness means freedom. He's, and he's not just in Jerusalem now either. He's with us right here where we are. And his authority extends through us. You could be a part of it. We're announcing that forgiveness, which is freedom from captivity as well as personal guilt, is, is freely available. Now in his kingdom, things are different. You can join King Jesus. Uh, you might recall that when Jesus spent some time with his disciples after he was resurrected, um, after the new creation project was in full swing, he explained to them what their job was going to be and, and how the scriptures all pointed to him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46, it says, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's just another way to collect all the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Okay, that's in the scriptures. Okay, how does this all work? And he explains to them the whole deal. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's where they just were, right? You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we know they were in the city. They were clothed with God's Holy Spirit, who poured out his power through them. And the crowds were paying attention to Philip's message. They paid attention. They paid attention, it says, uh, because of what he was doing, not just what he was saying, but what he was doing. You may have heard this, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Our, our gospeling about the newness in Christ, about the new creation coming, needs to be accompanied by the newness in our love for people. Last week we looked at how our um, love for even enemy sets us apart. Well, where is that going to come from? Only from a pure vision of heaven to see Christ standing there for us. And a new, the new love that's going to pour through us is going to make all the difference. Bring, bring joy to the city, right? Now, it may be true that God will heal people through your prayers. And uh, we've seen that happen. You know, God's healing power through prayers. But, but, but even if he's not healing that person, we can be present in the pain. That brings joy to the people. That absolutely does. Certainly our presence implies God's presence. If we are present as the church, then God is there with us and he is present. And then his authority, as we see with Philip, goes with his people into the dark places. You see, I'm scared of the dark. I'm scared of those dark places. Well, we have authority 
through Jesus to tread in those dark places. We, it's, it's delegated authority, but it's God's authority that we now have to tread on dark powers. And the disciples, they, see, they were casting out demons by the authority of Jesus, or another way to say it, in the name of Jesus. By his authority, they were doing these things, and that's the way we live as well. So there was much joy in the city. In fact, I think the last time there was probably this much joy in, in this city was when Jesus himself came to the well. Remember this probably. He, he met a woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And then he met the whole town. In John 4, 19, it, it talks about how, um, how the conversation went. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You're a Samaritan, right? And so you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Someday, the Spirit's going to come and wrap you all up and cause you to worship as well. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back and they're like, why are you talking with a woman? And uh, and so she, she ended up um, leaving her water jar and going into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. And if you skip ahead to verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves. We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So the Samaritans were looking for God. Now, they were a different group. They didn't actually believe in the whole um, Bible, the whole Old Testament, the, the Psalms, and they didn't believe in, in, the, in, in the prophets. They only had the books of Moses that they, they cared about. But they still had this intention that we're looking for that one Moses promised. We're looking for that one. And, and they, they looked to Jesus as the Christ in this town. But we know that they probably got off track because they started paying attention to this other guy. You'll see it in Acts 8, starting in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody mega. It's this word great. The loud voice, the mega voice, uh, somebody mega. I'm just going to point out these kind of Greek words so you can see how they all tie in. He, he saying that he was somebody mega, and they all paid attention to him. From the micro to the mega, it says. Saying, this man is the power of God that is called mega. Great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed this must, Jesus must be the Christ. He must be the one. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. 
And after seeing signs and mega power performed, he was amazed. Okay, so we got Simon. He's from Samaria. Uh, the story implies that it's probably in that town, the same town, the Sychar, where we know the woman was at Jacob's well, um, the one who had introduced her city to Jesus. They were a receptive crowd. They're interested in getting claims that, that God was, was come again. So we have Simon claiming to be the great power, which is a title, to a region that was expecting another miracle worker like Moses. The Samaritans held on to the books of Moses and, and looked forward to what God might be doing. Uh, the Samaritan thought took a different track than the Judean thought. Um, in Samaria, God was called the great power, the mega power. And now we have Simon himself claiming to be a manifestation of God himself. And everybody believed because he's doing all these signs. So you've got the magic and then you've got the mega magic or, or the mega power of, of Philip, which comes from the authority of Jesus. Now, magic, when we're looking at this in the, in the New Testament setting, was, um, was basically an attempt to manipulate the divine by use of special formula, techniques, which could then be written down, passed off, handed to somebody else, learned and used. So, so a kind of formulaic magic to attempt to influence the divine. Um, but Philip's signs, which remember signs point to things, and his miracles, really it's called the mega power, um, amaze the mega magician, don't they? And and when, when Simon, the mega magician, is confronted by the mega logos, <laughs> the word, uh, he has to submit. Now, Mike Heiser talks about how this, he says, it's easy to see how Luke, writing in full knowledge of the incarnation of God in Christ, would have sought to use this encounter. As, as Luke's putting all these stories together, he says the drama is palpable. Philip had taken the message that God had become man in Jesus Christ to Samaria, where they already had their own incarnate deity, Simon the Magician, God's great power. But Simon comes face to face with true authority because power is an extension of authority and who has all the authority? <laughs> Jesus Jesus does. Uh, verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they were receptive to God's message of the Christ. They sent to them Peter and John, uh, these are apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Which is a huge heart change. Remember, the apostles, uh, John and Peter, were with Jesus at the well. And they didn't really like those people. What are you doing with them? Why are we even here? Why do we have to stop in this place? We don't like this, uh, this land. In fact, uh, they hated Samaritans. They went out of their way to go around the town. They were like the, the great-grandchildren of, of Isis, basically. Way back when, Assyria had come in, wiped out the people, transplanted new Assyrians into this land, interbreeded with the Judean people, kind of took on their gods, kind of did this, kind of did that, and we don't like those people at all. They were not part of the Jewish system. They were outcasts. They were unclean. And now the Peter and John pray for them that they could partake of the Holy Spirit with them. Well, that's a 
big shift. And that's beautiful. That's love of enemy right there. That's, okay, we want the blessing of the Holy Spirit to come to you. Now, when Simon, verse 19, or verse 18, uh, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this authority, this exousia. That's a new, new word I need you to think about. This new, give me this exousia, this authority also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I love this trick. This is great. I want the authority. I want the right to be able to do that. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity." And Simon said, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. He says, you've got this root of bitterness. You've got this, this thing growing inside of you, which is producing very bitter fruit. And Simon says, pray to me. And we don't even know what happened after that. <laughs> we don't know what happened to Simon. There are stories that he went on to continue being a magician uh, in Rome. We don't really know how the whole story goes, but we know that he came face to face with true authority. The root of his heart was exposed. So whatever power Simon possessed, or maybe better yet, whatever power possessed him, didn't have this kind of authority. Right? The word of God has exousia, this authority. In fact, Satan, stripped of his authority at the cross, was now operating through deceivers like this like Simon, to steer people away. Hey, take Samaria and lock them into bondage, pursuing this incarnation of God or whatever. Another Messiah, another Jesus, another manifestation to lead people away, uh, an antichrist. And Satan still strikes at the roots of believers in a major disinformation campaign. His teeth may have been knocked out at the cross, but his whisper is still ferocious. <laughs> You've heard it. Uh, Peter recognized this, this root of unbelief that was causing this bitterness, and he cursed it. There's a mistake we sometimes make. It's a mistake we make, and then we get disappointed, and then we fall away from God. We make the mistake Simon did. We think God is some sort of power to then be harnessed and then used. But God is is not a power. God is not a power. He is the authority. He's not just a power, a force to be used. Power it's, it is an extension of his authority. The reason God moves with power and that his word is filled with power is that God has authority at the atomic level. <laughs> From the micro to the mega he has authority, and, and we, we've got to submit to that. I think the main point Luke is trying to make is that even the powerful opposition, a mega magician, has to stand down in the face of the preaching of the mega logos. Simon can't oppose the power of the gospel. And yet we sometimes think that the power of the gospel can be opposed, but, but we, we, it just needs to be presented, doesn't it? Forgiveness of sin needs to be presented taken out through 
through to the nations. Jesus' power came from his exousia, his authority. It's all through the New Testament. He spoke as one who had authority, remember? He marveled at those who understood and believed, like, you understand, I have authority over sickness and even over death. He gives his disciples exousia over demons and to cure diseases. Jesus says he, he had the exousia, the authority over his own life to lay it down and take it up again. And so we, I know you've heard this, what, 10 times now? <laughs> we must come under the authority of the word of Jesus, of Jesus who is the word. One of the best words we have in our favor, probably, is that we have been given exousia as well, authority. In John 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the exousia to become children of God. We need to let that truth sink down to our roots. But let me, let's get practical for a minute here. If you have any influence, if people pay attention to you, you very much need to take a seat at his word. You cannot bypass this step. Pastors, right? Elders, teachers, leaders in the church. Uh, if you have influence, you must sit under the word. You must conform your heart and mind to the gospel. Become a true believer that goes down to the roots of your life. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a or a teenager with friends and a social media following. You dare not wield that influence in your own authority, in your own name. But we do that in Jesus' name, right? Jesus, Jesus has the authority and we do everything in his authority. All that we do has to be done in Jesus' authority. Now, most of us are not at risk of of simony. That's, a, that's a, a sin that's been labeled by the church. That's the sale of church office, right? That's what came, came from this guy, Simon. Although that did happen many times in the history of the church. What I think we should focus on is this idea of what are the roots that are causing this kind of fruit. You know, you know you're no magician, but you do have influence. Simon claimed to be what? The manifestation of God. He was posturing as God himself. But that, that's just Simon the Magician, right? <laughs> Have you ever tried to figure out how to use God or use his power just to improve your life? You ever tried to grab God's power just to, just to make your life better and do what you want? Mm. There's a rebuke in there, isn't there? Maybe you know someone who uh, has quit the game, <laughs> the game that they made of religion. Yeah, when I was uh, in high school... I started and ended my football career in the ninth grade. You know, I was facing down sophomore year, the, the gruel, the grueling sophomore year of being a tackling dummy and running lines and just working out. And I could see what would have awaited me if I had put the time in. Uh, I, I knew what was going to happen. It was going to be pounding, pounding, pounding. And I was just like, I'm not in that. I couldn't, I couldn't see the glory that could be ahead. I just knew it was just going to be punishing. So I, I decided not even just to show up my sophomore year. I wanted the glory, not the gruel. Besides, my, my uh, eighth grade quarterback role was taken from me in ninth grade. And, you know, there's no glory, glory, glory there. But, but because I quit, 
because I wanted the glory and not the gruel, I got neither. I would sit in the stands the rest of my high school career and wish I could be out there. Just thinking, oh man, hey coach, put me in. And he would say, I never knew you, right? He didn't even know me and I certainly was not going to be put in the game. But, but some people have been leaving churches because church just isn't doing it for them anymore. How many times in your life have you heard or, or been tempted to say, this God thing just doesn't work for me? Yeah, you've heard that. I've got friends that say that. Uh, God just doesn't work for me. Well, that's a good point, isn't it? God does not work for you. Right? We, we have to come under his authority and live in his world and, and follow his commands. None of us have tried to take God's place on his throne to manipulate circumstances in our favor, right? <laughs> in, in the last year, have you noticed any control issues pop up in your life? Any control issues? That's a, that's a big one. What's going on? Why isn't God doing this? He needs to get going. I don't understand. And so I'll just take things into my own hands, right? And so what are we believing about God in that moment? What are we believing about what God has done or hasn't done and what he's doing? What are we believing about ourselves? What are we believing about what we must do? And I want to just help you as we close, do a little spiritual work. We know from Simon that the roots can cause bitter fruit. So let's dig a little around the tree and see what's in the soil. Okay? We all have roots that bear bitter fruit when we believe the wrong things about God. You know, like Simon, you, know, you think God's just a power that you can just take and an authority and you can do, do all. No, you can't run God like that. He doesn't work for us. So a look at our fruit, which um, the fruit is our emotional responses and our behaviors. Actually tells us what we believe about who God is, truly. It's the best indicator of what we actually believe about God and what he has done. Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book Gospel Fluency, gives us a way to diagnose the root cause of the bitter fruit in our life. And I just want to walk you through it. If you look on the, on the right-hand side there, there's a, there's a tree with all sorts of bad fruit, desire for control, fear, anxiety, worry. This could be a lot of different things, but this will be focused around the idea of control. You can do this with, with any fruit that you see in your life that you're just disgusted by, right? Ask the question, who am I right now? Um, well, I'm not in control, but I believe I have to be. So I've got to just, I've just got to grip things even tighter. Well, what has God done? Well, actually, I believe he stopped loving me, that he's lost control of what's going on, that he's abandoned us. Uh, and who is God then? Well, he's unloving. He's impotent. He's absent. And that needs to be, be confessed. This is actually what I believe about myself, that I'm supposed to be in control. Now, Jeff's talking about a conversation with his wife, but, but I think we can see in there, who am I? Well, I, I, I'm trying to grip control. What has God done? Well, he's abandoned me. He's left me alone, so I have to do this on my own. So God's just out of the picture. Well, is that truly what we believe? It's good to just to confess that sin. Repent. We turn and repent. And we have to build back up from those roots. So who really is God? 
Well, he's love, he's powerful, he's control, he's, he's present. Okay, so what has he done? Well, it's actually, he's died for me, he's loved me, he's, he's given me his power through his spirit. So who am I? Well, I'm a loved one, and I'm, I'm not alone, and I, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and I'm a, I'm a conqueror. And, and so then what happens is we start to bear the right fruit. Now, you can do this kind of thing, asking these questions for almost any situation that you have going on in your life. Wow, I see this just popping up in my life, or my wife, or my husband, or my friends keep saying, this is something that I keep seeing in you. So I just challenge you to ask those three questions. Who am I? Or another way to ask that is, what am I believing about myself right now? What has God done or failed to do? And so who is God? Or another way to say, what am I believing about who he is and what his character is right now? Confess the wrong beliefs. Or, or, or if you don't even know that they're wrong, get a friend who, who's come under the authority of the word and knows to help you and, and tell you the truth. As you deal with the root, you're going <laughs> to develop better fruit. Your neighbors will enjoy the harvest with you and there will be joy in this city.